Triple Play Fantasy's Football Show with D. Mindy, Brastadamus, Doc, and Johnny Foosball starts now. We welcome in an animated man, and those are his words. That comes from success. Not only did he play football, but he was also a junior Olympic swimmer, an accomplished distance runner with a little bit of basketball and baseball on the side. For you Greek life listeners, he's in the Hall of Honor of the Theta Chi fraternity. Professionally, he has worked with five collegiate programs and eight NFL franchises. The man that operates with the same mindset, whether it was his first day as a grad assistant at USC or the Browns' senior offensive assistant. The man with so much energy, he logged more miles than most players. The man that only left the office to see his wife in sleep. We welcome in the Energizer Bunny, the wine aficionado, the most in-shape 74-year-old man I know, Al Saunders' offensive <laughs> guru. What's going on? What's what's up, guys? This is a, what is a great great evening to talk to you guys. And yeah, I, I did come home to see my wife every once in a while. And as soon as I came in, she says, "Get the hell out of here. Go back to work." <laughs> so it, it, uh, we, we had a great relationship. Been married for fifty years, and uh, once in a while, you hit a home run, you know. And uh, I was fortunate to hit a home run in nineteen seventy, and I cut her out of the herd as a graduate assistant at the University of Southern California. So, you know, things things have been uh, great ever since. Oh, that's awesome to hear. And it sounds like she's pretty supportive. Al, how are you and your family doing with all this COVID stuff? I understand that you have a new grandchild on the way. We do. I, I Actually, we got our uh, second, my wife and I got our second shot yesterday. Um, and she's bitching and complaining that she has uh, <laughs> after effects or side effects. And so now I have to, you know, I had to bring her dinner tonight, you know, in bed. So, she, you know, she's fine. I said, what's wrong? She said, well, I'm just a little tired. So tired. That's not a that that's not an after side effect. I said the deal, you know. So, no, I love her to death, and she's doing great. She just had a knee replacement, actually. Um, she played tennis, uh, you know, in college, and uh, is paying for it now. And uh, so she had one knee replaced uh, last year, and then just another knee replaced uh, about it's four weeks tomorrow. And doing great with rehab. Uh, I have three children, and they're all doing great. Grandkids doing great. Got four, uh, four running around, and I got uh, two in the oven. One to my daughter in Washington D.C., and one right here in our house in Leesburg, Virginia. Um, my son, and I think I told somebody, my son and his wife uh, just married a couple years ago. She's from England. Uh, she's an attorney, and her father is actually a magistrate judge, teaches at Cambridge. So he's a pretty sharp guy. If you guys have any problems, let me know. I got connections. If you, <laughs> I'll be able to get you out of a jam, you know, <laughs> at least what gets me out of a jam if I ever get in one. But uh, anyway, they're, so they've been here. They've been here since March. Uh, he's uh, a film director and was working for Netflix uh, up in New York and that COVID hit. And so we ended up having them come down and staying, stay with us here in Virginia. They, they came to, in March. They're still here for crime and sakes. I mean, it's from board books tuition. It's the greatest scholarship going, you know, she's pregnant, so it must be in the water. So we're going to have a new little grandbaby in three weeks, three weeks. Her name Excellent. is Isabel. That's, that's exciting. I, I have a question that's kind of off what I wanted to ask originally, but uh, so your son is a director, a film director for Netflix. He said, uh, yeah. would he be interested in making a film about my life potentially? 
Well, the idea is to make films that have interest in the community. <laughs> you know? Now, if you have, if if you're like a secret Breaking Bad guy or, or something like that, you know, or a, a Better Call Saul, we might be able to work something out. You know, you never know. You never know what a, a man has to offer in his life. If you got a couple of skeletons in the closet, they always sell. You know, if there's, uh, you know, some type of royalty in your family and. Uh, you, know, you live in uh, Montecito and you have Oprah Winfrey interviewing you, that, that could go. So there, we might be able to work this out. We'll, this we'll interview talk. would probably be the like the highlight of it because it's pretty boring besides this. So, Well, we're not here to talk about David's life. Al, we're here to talk about your life. And what <laughs> oh I like goodness. to do is start out with the early years. And you were born in the North London suburb of Hendon. And your great uncle played and managed in the English Football League. You moved to North America when you were five, moving to Canada first, and then eventually the United States. But I know John wants to ask you a question kind of a, of your interests. Sure. Of course, of course, you're a fan of, of football, but are you a fan of the other football, footy, the beautiful game, as we Yanks call it, soccer? Absolutely. You know, uh, like was referenced, uh, I have a great uncle who played for Liverpool for a lot of years and uh, coached. Uh, uh, th three or four different different clubs uh, in the Premier League in England. Um, West Bromwich, um, he coached Manchester City for a while, and then uh, he uh, won the European, the Premier League, uh, one year. And I'm trying to think, he was with um, uh, Aston Villa, and uh, he he won there. And my daughter actually played on the under 20 U.S. national team. Oh, wow. She was an All-American in high school and played at Nebraska for four years. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I enjoy watching soccer. I really like it. I think the skill and the, you know, the, the ability of both the, the female and the male teams are just phenomenal. And my, my daughter-in-law, like I said earlier, is, uh, she's from England. She you know, was, was an attorney, a barrister, as they call him over there, and she's living with us now. So Saturday and Sunday morning, we got the Premier League on TV, you know, <laughs> English accents and those one to nothing games that, by the way, you know, it's like, it's like baseball. You know, I mean, you go through a baseball game one to nothing and people that are really interested in pitching or whatever, you know, really think it's a great game. I think the excitement of soccer, when you understand it, um, her coach at Nebraska was the Canadian national Canadian Olympic coach. Uh, and John Walker's his name, and the assistant coach was the under 20 U.S. national team coach. So, uh, and I really didn't know much about it, you know. I mean, I didn't know a lot of, I watched her play in high school, and, you know, but I didn't know the strategy of the game or anything like that until she went to Nebraska and I had opportunity to, to meet with John Walker, who's probably one of the, the, the finest, you know, coaches in, in, in the world, actually. And uh, I got to learn about the game a little bit more. So I, there was other things I looked for, and I appreciate I appreciate athleticism. I appreciate competitiveness. You know, I appreciate uh, you know how, how hard those those kids, those girls, those men, you know, work to be proficient at their task. And when you get down there, you know, I'd fool around with them sometimes. I mean, it's a joke. I yeah, you know, I couldn't even begin to even kick the ball away from them or to them or anything like that. So I, I really appreciate the game and I really enjoy it. I enjoy watching it. So long-winded answer to your question. Yes, I, I very much like, uh, like football. And as mentioned, you come from a family of athletics. Now, during your playing days, you earned academic All-American football honors as a three-year starter and team captain at defensive back and wide receiver from 1966 to 1968. 
And between the end of your collegiate playing career and the beginning of your coaching career, you earned a master's degree in education at Stanford. And your graduate assistant position at USC in 1970 would be the beginning of your 47 career with the pigskin. But I got to ask because I got a sport management degree from Towson University. I don't know if you've heard of it, small school in Baltimore. Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. We, so we were required to get internships, which helped with networking. And today there's the internet, there's platforms like LinkedIn, where you can get connected with people in seconds. What was the internship process like when you applied? That's an interesting question. Um, actually, uh, you know, I, I wanted to teach in college. That, that was uh, my goal. I was an English major and, and uh, I went to uh, Stanford to get a master's in education. And they had a program there where you got your master's degree, you got your teach, secondary teacher credential in California, you got administrator credential, you got a junior college credential in a four quarter program. And within that uh, period of time, you had to student teach. And I, I taught at uh, Henry M. Gunn High School, a little school close to uh, close to, to Stanford there in Palo Alto. And uh, part of my, I, I had to teach three classes, three English classes. Uh, as part of the program at Stanford. So um, it was a brand new school. It was the first year of the school. The, uh, they had a sophomore football team that the principal uh, didn't hire a, a football coach. We're, we're getting ready to start school. He didn't have a, a coach to coach the, the sophomore team. So I made a deal with him. He said, he said you played in college, didn't you? And I said, yeah. And he, he said, would you coach the, the sophomore football team for me? I said, I'll do it if I don't have to teach three English classes. I'll teach two English classes and I'll coach the sophomore football team. He said, well, let me think about that. So he comes, this is a true story. He comes back the next day and says, well, how about this? You coach the sophomore football team and the basketball team, and then we'll let you teach two classes. I said, great. So that was really my first exposure to coaching as such. And um, I kind of, I, I loved it. You know, I love playing, obviously. And, and I just really, I love teaching because coaching is teaching, you know, and, the, the better teacher you are, the better you can communicate, then the, the better chance you have to, to help people get better at what they do. And it just happens to be focused on football. But I didn't want to teach in the classroom after I went through the coaching process. I, I just wanted to coach. And so uh, I was fortunate enough. Um, I had a, a great athletic director by the name of Bob Bronson, uh, who Dick Vermeil and Bill Walsh and I all played for, and we all went to San Jose State as undergraduates, played at San Jose State, had the same coaches and same athletic director. And so this athletic director, uh, you know, knew Bill real well, obviously, and coached him and Dick real well, and they were both a little bit ahead of me in school. But um, they, they said, you know, what do you want to do? And so I explained to him. And so I thought, you know, the best way to do this is to, I, I, I was going to finish my master's degree at Stanford. So I took the top 10 schools in the country in football. It was Alabama, Notre Dame, I can't remember exactly who they were. It was Alabama, Notre Dame, Texas, yeah, you know, USC, uh, Michigan, Ohio State, whatever the top 10 were. And I applied to all of the graduate schools. I applied to the doctoral program in every graduate school. And um, I got accepted to, to them. And then I wrote a letter to the head coach uh, at each one of those schools. I remember Joe Paterno, uh, Bear Bryant, uh, Woody Hayes, Bo Schembechler, John McKay, uh, Daryl Royal, I think was at Texas at the time. I only got two answers back 
I got two letters back. And, and basically the letter was, I will be attending Ohio State University in a doctoral program, but my interest really is to get into to college coaching. If there are any graduate assistantships available, you know, would you please consider me that kind of thing? I got two letters back. I got one from Alabama, from Coach Bryant, um, and it was a form letter, obviously, but at least I got a letter back and saying that, you know, we reserve our graduate assistant positions for graduates from the University of Alabama. You know, thank you very much for your interest. I got a letter back from John McKay, same thing. You know, thank you very much for your interest in the University of Southern California, but our graduate assistant program is full at this time. And we, you know, we entertain only players who played here. So uh, the, the Dr. Bob Bronson, who was our athletic director at the time uh, at San Jose, asked me, you know, passing in the hallway in the men's gym, he says, how are you doing on your graduate assistantships? And I said, well, I can get my, my EDD or my PhD at 10 schools. I said, but I can't. <laughs> there are only two answers, only two football programs answered. He said, who were they? I said, USC and University of Alabama. He says, hold on. He go, this is a true story. Goes into his office, calls him, you know, those days, pick up the phone and all that. You know. <laughs> and uh, he, he called the University of Southern California, called John McKay. And, and basically, this is the conversation. Yeah. Hey, John, uh, Bob here, Bob Bronson. Oh, great. You know, yeah. How's your, how, yeah. How's the family? You know, yeah. How's Corky? Good. Yeah. Hey, listen, I got a kid here. Um, that played for us uh, that, you know, and he's, he lied about, he guys kind of smart, you know, he's an aggressive guy. <laughs> and he says, uh, you know, he, and he, he's really looking to, go, he's going to be at the University of Santa California. I'd like you to help him out. I'd like you to, you know, maybe let him, you know, work with your program or something. So they talked a little bit more. Dr. Bronson hangs up the phone. He goes, uh, you know, you need to be down in, down in Los Angeles in a couple of weeks. Can you do that? Coach McKay would like to talk to you. Right. So I get a, I fly down to LA. Um, it was in Northern California time, fly down to LA, interview with uh, John McKay. And he says, well, he says, listen, he says, and we had freshman teams at those time at that time, there were freshman teams in varsity and the freshmen couldn't play. So um, John says, you know, he says, as it, as it happens, I've got a, a guy by the name of Hudson Houck. Uh, Hudson is one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL for years and years and years. He was a center at SC on their national championship team. He said, I've got a, Hudson is going to, um, you know, be one of my graduate assistants. He said, I just want one more. And I really had someone else in mind, but he can't make it. He can't do it. So there's a position open. And if you'd like to do it, you know, as long as you're going to be here at SC, that'd be great. And I applied for a state graduate fellowship. So I got a stipend. So I'll make a long, long, long story short. Hudson and I uh, coached at, uh, at USC. We did it for two years as graduate. We, we didn't have very good teams, though. We had Len Swan and Pat Hayden and J.K. McKay. A bunch of scrubs. It was unbelievable. We had, we had the best time. We were undefeated and, and had a good time. We had pretty good pretty good varsity team too we used to you know work with the scout team and you know run the defense and run the scout offense uh, but it was a great experience just a phenomenal experience um, there at usd and it, how it ended uh, you'd be interested in this so you talked about getting jobs and networking and stuff like that shoot they have the the ncaa convention or they they still have it but then it used to be like a job market you, know, you go there to try to get a job right so Coach McKay calls uh, Hudson and I uh, in his office and uh, 
So we're sitting, and he, and he always talked to both of us at, at the same time. He never talked to one of us at a time. We both had to come in. So we're sitting down in front of his big, massive desk, you know, national championship trophies all the plays. He's got 15 rings. Looks like, uh, you know, looks like Joe Montana with his national championship rings and all this stuff, you know. And he goes, well, boys, he goes, uh, and he always smoked a cigar. So he had a cigar. He goes, well, boys, he goes, uh, what do you know about the NCAA convention? And so typical you know, typical us, you know, typical me. I said, oh, gee, coach, that's great. You know, it's all the great speakers, you know, and we get to, you know, hear and learn more about football. And he goes, no. He goes, it's to get a job. He goes, <laughs> and by the way, I'm sending you to the convention in Hollywood, Florida to get a job. Because when you come back, you don't have one here. Oh, <laughs> oh man! Oh my God! You know. So anyway, so we we went down there and we had we had resumes and all that. We were handing out all these resumes. All these nobody did. They went right in the trash can, you know. So we come back. This is a true story. So we come back and uh, Coach McKay calls us in his office. Well, boys, how'd you like the convention? Oh, Coach, it was great. And we tried, you know, I, we tried so hard to get some interviews. You know, we were asking if there are any positions available. And he goes, well, he says. I can understand why you didn't get any interviews because you set football back 10 years since you've been here. He, says, <laughs> and he used to put a Y on our names if he liked. He says, Allie, he goes, here. He goes, call Al Onofrio at the University of Missouri. He goes, Hudson. He goes, call Jack Christensen at Stanford University. They're going, okay, you know, I got this number, so I go and you know, I go to the city. We, did, we, uh, we didn't even have a desk. We had like those old metal desks you had, the teachers have in the sixth grade, you know, in, in, in your school. And they were out in the hallway. You know, we didn't even have an office or anything. We were, we were truly indentured servants, you know, at that time at USC. So, yeah. so I got this, I got this deal. Alan Afraid, I don't even know where the University of Missouri is. Where the heck is that, you know? So I have a phone, um, called the football office, uh, said, yes, uh, this is Al Saunders. Um, from the University of Southern California, I'm calling for for uh, Coach Alan. Oh, hold on, he's expecting your call. Got to be kidding me. So I'm on the phone. Uh, Coach Anafrio, uh, yes, he goes. Well, he says, uh, when can you be here? Uh, pardon me. He says, well, you are you you are going to take the job, aren't you? Coach McKay, and that's the way they worked in those days. He makes the call. So I get a job as receivers coach at the University of Missouri. Hudson had a job at, at Stanford. So we come back in his office after, and he's, why would you call Coach Onofrio? Yeah, I did. Did you call Jack Christensen? Yeah, I did. I, I, coach, you know, I, I think we're going to have jobs there. He goes, well, I figured you can't coach football. You probably didn't get yourself a job either. So the old coach had to take care of you. you know? ah, <laughs> but, and what a uh, what a what a perfect transition because you got yeah. that job at Missouri, followed by Utah State, California, and Tennessee. Yeah. Well, the interesting enough, the defensive coordinator Phil Kruger uh, at USC got the job at Utah State, and then he wanted to run SC's offense, and so uh, he offered me a job there as the coordinator. So I went there, and it, it's been I've been really blessed being around great people, you know, I mean, people that have, have really done so much for me in my career, both personally and professionally. Um, and they didn't have to do what they did. Uh, you know, I've had an opportunity to work for in college, John McKay and Mike White and, and Johnny Majors, you know, and in the national football league, my first job was with, uh, 
Don Coriel in San Diego when we were starting. The Chargers, 1983. You were a wide receiver coach at first, eventually getting to the head coach. And I I know Brad had a question regarding your head coaching career. Sure. I do. You know, we always hear coaches talk about how, you know, there aren't enough hours in the day and a lot of people have to, you know, delegate responsibilities off to others just to make sure that everything gets done proficiently. I'm curious, you know, what were the differences in responsibilities when – you were a head coach versus when you were a coordinator and which one did you like better? Yeah. Well, they're, they're really different, you know, um, a coordinator, uh, you know, you're, you're just intricately involved in football. I mean, it's strategy, it's coaching, it's, it's, uh, you know, working whatever side you might be working on as an offensive coordinator, you know, designing the game plan with, with, with the, you know, input of, of your other assistant coaches. When I first got into coaching, there were only six coaches on the staff. We had three on offense, three on defense, and Coach Coriel was the head coach. That was it. You know, um, now there's, you know, 15, 20 coaches. The technology has, has changed the game so dramatically. You know, all of the information. We, we had film, not, not video, but film. And some weeks we didn't even have film to look at from our opponent. When we were playing the Raiders, they wouldn't give us any film. You had to, your, <laughs> your film guy had to go and get film um, from other teams that played. And in those days it was shipped by, you know, air freight, you know, by the, by the airplanes. It didn't come over a, you, know, you couldn't click your fingers and all of a sudden you have every game in the national football league. So it was so different. Um, and being a coordinator, you know, you're totally involved in, in, in that, it, not as much administration. You don't deal with, with anything other than football, really. A head coach, the really good ones, uh, and to be a good one, you know, there, there aren't very many Sean Paytons and, you know, the Bill Walshes and the, you know, the guys now that are running their own offense to a degree because the, the head coach requires you to be, to a degree, you know, an administrator, a CEO. You know, you have to delegate authority. Um, there, there, and there aren't enough hours in the day to do all of the things that you need to do. I enjoyed, I had a great experience. I was 36 years old as a head coach of the San Diego Chargers and had a phenomenal experience. It was, it was terrific. Probably wish that, you know, I would have had maybe another five or six years in the league before I had that opportunity to be a head coach. Um, the thing that I missed about the difference between a head coach and a coordinator, a head coach and a position coach, I missed, I missed the teaching part. You know, I became more of an administrator and I wanted to be involved in offense and defense and special teams. Um, and which, which was a, a good decision, but it wasn't, I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed strategizing, you know, as an offensive coordinator or teaching a player, watching somebody progress, somebody get better at the skills that you're trying to teach them you know, so that they can have success. And uh, so once again, a long-winded answer to your question, I enjoyed the coordinator position coach that role much better than I, much better than the head coaching experience. And your performance showed with that as you had a hand in some of the most explosive offensive offenses of all time, you led the offense for the greatest show on turf with 2000 Rams you and Dick Vermeil had the most productive offensive unit of the league during your five-year stint with that team. You led the Washington football team to the playoffs when Joe Gibbs came out of retirement in 2007. And Steven Jackson, Todd Heap, and many other players become became pro bowlers under your oversight. And I know David had a question regarding some of your tenures. 
Hey, Brad, let me tell you one thing, just to add to your question. I, I don't mean to backtrack here, mm -hmm. but one of the things that I would really like now from a head coaching perspective over a coordinator or a position coach is the money. Here's a quiz. Here's a quiz for all four of you. Okay. Al Saunders, head football coach, San Diego Chargers, a three-year contract. Okay. The first year, how much did I get paid? I'm going to guess. 750000 Okay. No, no. That's way too much. You probably got paid 45000 What? I'm going to say, <laughs> you, hey, I'm going to say $1 million. You will not be an agent. You will <laughs> never be an agent. I'm thinking this is in the 80s. I'm thinking this is in the 80s. I don't know. seven hundred fifty k. Right. It's low rent. My, my contract was one hundred and twenty-five, dollars 150 and $175,000. Three-year contract for a head football coach in the National Football League. The first year now, guys are making $3 million. I mean, there's, there's, there's guys making 10 million, Brad, 10 million. Before, before, we get, before we get to Dave's question, while we're talking about modern day offenses, you know, what do you make of the offenses today where, you know, almost every quarterback worth their salt is throwing 4,000 yards and running back by committee is a common practice. Would you institute a similar offense if given the chance today, or do you like the way things are trending? Well, that, that's an interesting question. You know, I, I think you you do what you can't teach what you don't know. You know, you, you teach what you know and you can't you can't teach experience. You know, you learn experience. I've had the, the great fortune to work for a lot of great head coaches. Um, you know, the Joe Gibbs and the Dick Wheels and the Don Coriels and, the, you know, Marty Schottenheimers. And, you know, those, those uh, John Harbaugh, I put in the class with those guys, you know, that really, really outstanding head football coaches in the national football league and and the offenses have evolved and and they they've they've changed a lot because of the rules you know um it, when when i first got in the league san diego with, with don Coriel was so far ahead of the curve in the passing game and it, was, it was sid gilman don Coriel, you know and then bill walsh kind of clicked off if, if you would ask you know bill uh, you can't ask him now, but if you would have asked him, you know, where his his foundation came from, it was really from the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, and, and Paul Brown, you know, and also Sid Gilman, you know. Uh, so the, the passing game in those days, you know, were so different because the style of football was different. You know, the the uh, you know, the RPOs, you know, the things that getting the ball out really quickly, the short throws, long run kind of things. Um, it, it's just so different now and, and the rules favor, you know, offensive football so much more. And if you have the speed mm -hmm. and the ability to put your players in space and utilize their talents, like, like Kansas city does so well now, um, you know, you, you have a chance to be really explosive and, and a lot of fun to watch. And I've always felt like, you know, football should be fun. I mean, I, I always felt like, you know, you, you wanted to do things that the players enjoyed. You wanted to do things to be explosive, to score points, um, you know, and, and that's was always my philosophy from a football standpoint is, you know, make sure it's fun, put people in a position to do what they can do. And I think in today's football, you know, I think you have to explore a lot of the things that are going on from the college game that have kind of seeped into the pro game and, and really made it more of a wide open, you know, creative kind of an atmosphere. The Chiefs fan on the panel, David, perked up when you said that. I mean, I would say you tied that in perfectly because we got to talk a little Kansas City Chiefs here. 
So you come back to the to the good team here in the Chiefs, your second stint. Help Priest Holmes set NFL records. And, and I'm going to start throwing a lot of compliments your way, just see if you want to sit back and enjoy them for a second. So, <laughs> Okay, go ahead. So no. Priest Holmes, you help Priest Holmes set NFL records, rushing touchdowns 27, being NFL Offensive Player of the Year in 2003. Tony Gonzalez setting a single-season receiving mark for tight ends with 102 receptions in 2004. Trent Green becoming only the fourth player in league history to finish four consecutive seasons with a QB rating above 90. You had 11 different offensive players receive Pro Bowl honors under your direction. And then you also became ranked as the number one offensive coordinator in the past 25 years in the NFL in 2005. And according to USA Today's Offensive Coach of the Year, you were awarded that as well. So my first question is, can you just tell me some good things about the Chiefs? Because I just can't no, pick enough no, good Chiefs stuff. And no, then get to the second question. And then the second question is: You coach a lot of great running backs. It's my favorite position to watch. Marshall Falk, Priest Holmes, Stephen Jackson. Did you have a favorite? And do you think I could tackle any of them? <laughs> well, listen. If 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 you want to get that story done on your life, I think that would probably be the last thing that you would want to try to do <laughs> if you want to live it, because because your story would end this year, whatever, however old you are right now. But those are some those are some great questions. You know, um, like I said before, I, I've been so fortunate to be around great players. You know, everywhere I've been. You know, there's. There's been just some some phenomenal players, and from a running back standpoint, I'm going to say, well, it's really hard, you know, because Marshall Falk was special, uh, Priest Holmes is special, uh, you know, probably one of the most talented that that that, that I've ever been around, um, and he didn't play as long as his career should have uh, played. Um, was our running back in San Diego, and the name jumps right out of my head right now. Uh, Oh gosh! Um, During what year was it again? I'm trying to remember. He gosh, he played for us at Cal, um, and was the went to, he was drafted by New Orleans, and then we then he there no, 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 no. Uh, Chuck Muncie. Oh, sorry for not remembering that. Chuck Muncie was probably the one of the most talented running backs uh, I've ever been involved in 38 years in the NFL and in 50 years in coaching. But my, I think my favorite guy to be around, to, to watch work, who had longevity, who's in the Hall of Fame, uh, is probably Marcus Allen. That's a good one. Marcus was just, just a real special guy. Um, he was a great teammate. And when we had him in Kansas City, it was toward the end of his career. You know, but uh, so unselfish, uh, just such a phenomenal talent. Uh, and I remember, and there's a special place in my heart. My father passed away uh, while I was coaching in in, uh, in, in Kansas City. And uh, after one of the games that weekend, uh, Marcus gave me the game ball, you know, uh, in honor of my father. And that, that was always a special place in my heart, you know. Um, but but he had what a phenomenal talent he was. Then he had that SC connection too. So that was that was that was kind of neat. And what was your other question? I'm sorry, uh, David. I asked a lot of, of questions. Uh, yeah, I'm. I think it was a. Uh, could you tackle any of them? The answers. Oh, oh he already, oh, he already answered that. He said, "If I no, wanted my way to end." I tell you, there's two guys that you don't want to tackle that I was involved in coaching. One is Christian Okoye, 
Okay. And the, the other is Barry Ward. They're both Kansas City guys, you know, 245, 50 pounds that uh, they never tried to avoid anybody. They ran right over you like a steamroller. How oh, could man. I tackle Darren Sproles? <laughs> oh, no, Darren Sproles, shoot. He's quick as a hiccup. He's like, uh, <laughs> he's special. He's like little Lionel, Lionel James, little, uh, you know, we had in San Diego and, and, uh, Darren Sproles special now that guy, he can make you miss in the open field. He can make you look silly. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Al, I want to talk about your time with the local team. You know, we're on the, in the DMV and you coached the Washington football team for a few right seasons. You know what that I, is. There you go. There you go. There you go. Yes. Baltimore. Yes, it is. There we go. I knew you had good. I knew you had good pictures in your house. You just seem like that type of guy. I think we have uh, we have Super Bowl ring pictures up there and all kinds of stuff. I got all kinds of stuff. (laughs) Oh man! So your tenure with the team wasn't that long, and there was a rumor that the playbook was too extensive. So I have to ask because I saw that it was seven hundred plus pages. Is that true? No, it was way bigger than that. (laughs) Oh man! Well, seriously. You know, it, uh, somebody somebody wrote that one time, um, like it was you know, you know some deal. But uh, you know, we we had a system that, from a language standpoint, that was easily accessible and easily digested, and and players were able to to utilize a lot of volume. And I learned that from from Don Coriel and Ernie Zampezi and and, Sandy, and Joe Gibbs was there in, in uh, San Diego. Um, volume was one of the things that we uh, emphasized and, and probably got a lot more out of our players you know, in that regard than, than maybe any other team in the National Football League. And that's why we were so successful offensively. Um, we weren't restricted in a lot of ways. Uh, our terminology didn't restrict us. You know, we weren't bound by, you know, cumbersome words and phrases that took a long time and um, created a lot of memory. And uh, the system that we utilized, is, as Coriel would say, you tell everybody what to do. You know, 989 F-Rep sneak. We, we gave all the receivers numbers for routes, told the backs what to do and called the protection. So it'd be like formation, twins right motion, scat right is the protection. You know, 525 F post, five route, two route, a five route. Yeah, friends of post, you don't tell the back other back what to do, you runs a swing round. So you could just mix and match numbers and 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 in another in another uh system, that whole play 525 F post might be one word. It might be Ernie or it might be, you know, system or it might be shark or it might be, you know, electricity or you know, whatever. And when you keep adding words and adding where the players have to memorize, one word tells everybody what to do. There's a lot of memory involved. And when you get caught up in those systems, a lot of guys, you know, not everybody's a Rhodes Scholar, you know, not everybody remembers or studies and you know, does things like like each other. But if you, if you could, every one of you guys, you could be a wide receiver for me. I could teach you the entire offense in 10 minutes. If you Which can, one? If you can Which count from one to nine. If you, well, maybe David would be the exception. He might take an hour. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you could count from one to nine and, and, and learn the routes, nine being a go route, you know, eight, all the even numbers break in, all the you odd lost numbers me. break out. What? You lost me. Who? No, you're, I think you lost me already. <laughs> oh, David, a nine route runs straight down the field as fast as you can go, as far as you can go. Got you it. That? So if, 
and you get the third digit. Okay, you're the you're the you're the on the two receiver side. You're the flanker. You get the third digit. Okay, and Brad, you know you're you're an inside receiver, so you get the second digit. Okay, can you do that? And then Eric, you're 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 the X receiver. You get the first digit. Okay, so nine is a go. All the even numbers break in. So eight is a post. Six is an in. Four is a curl. Two is a slant. Okay, now. And you would write this down. A, a one is a hitch. Okay. A three is an out. A five is a comeback. A seven is a corner. And a nine is a go. So you take your little notes. You one to nine. I trust that you can all learn nine routes. Now, all the, the techniques of the routes and all that and the adjustments, you know, that takes a lot to learn. But we could line up and Eric has the first route and Brad has the second and David has the third. So I say, okay, we're going to run 432. Okay, the, the fullback is the F, F corner, and H is the swing. So 432, F corner swing. Okay, Eric, what route do you run? I'm running a hitch, right? You're running a four route, right? 432. Whew, you're rough. Okay, Brad. <laughs> it's because I'm related to David. What, what number are you running? I'm three. Okay. And then David, 432, what number are you running? Two. I'm running two. Okay, perfect. Okay. <laughs> okay. F corner. So you, if you were the F, you would run, run what route? Johnny, what would you, you're, the, you're my fullback. F corner. What route would you run? Corner. Perfect. Okay. And then I'm <laughs> halfback. I run a swing. So 430, 432, F corner swing. Okay, the next route, 525, F post. Eric? Number five. There you go. And you just have to learn that's a comeback. Okay. Brad? I'm a two. Okay. David? I'm a five. I can do this. Okay, John. <laughs> I thought I heard a post. There you go. Okay. Okay. We're going 989. F rub sneak. Okay. What route you have, Eric? I got the nine. I got the fly. There you go. Brad, what do you got? I got the eight. I got okay. the post. And you, just, you would learn that's a post. Okay. Then David, what would you get? I got the nine. I got the go. It's my favorite there you one. Go. Johnny, what would you get? Rub. There you go. And I'd run the sneak. So anyway, that's a capsule of you. You didn't have to learn that one of those names was Panther. One was Electricity. One was, uh, you know, website. One was, uh, you know, it, it, it's the easiest system in the world to learn. And we could, you know, any combination of three numbers, you just needed to know that that's all you listen for. You listen for that number. First number, second number, third number, you know, and the back would listen for the word and the H would listen for the last word. And we could go out. We would when we went when I was the head coach was during the strike in 80. Was it 87? The strike in 80, the, the replacement games. We won all mm -hmm. we 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 won all three replacement games. And Joe Gibbs with the Redskins won all three replacement games. Same system, the digit system. And we had guys coming in. We had guys coming out of bar rooms on, on on Friday, and they'd play on Sunday. And if they were receivers, they learned one to nine. And we went out there, and now some of the routes looked ugly, and the adjustments weren't really good. But if you told the kid to run a nine, he ran a go route as fast as he could, and he's been doing that since sixth grade. You know, ran a run an eight, you run a post, you run a three, you run a quick out. So the the, the system and the terminology allowed us to have a tremendous amount of volume. Uh, and it was tremendously exciting to be a part of that particular system. I feel like Tori Holt right now. 
I was going to say, Al, you created a monster. I'm putting this on my resume that I know how to do the digit system. Ah, there you go. Tori and Isaac. Tori, Isaac, and uh, we have Oz Hakim and Ricky Prohl, and that was a pretty good team, and, and uh, they were special now. Did you have any players that, you know, they were exceptionally quick at grasping your system? That particular system was not real difficult. One of the smartest, one of the smartest players I had ever been around um, in in skilled positions was Marshall Falk and Priest Holmes. Those two guys, they knew what every every single player on the offense was doing. They they were unbelievable, quick in picking things up. Now, and that's the limit of the quarter. There's quarterbacks are in different class by themselves, you know, in terms of what they do. But as far as receivers, tight ends, uh, you know, running backs, you know, Marshall Falk was what a student of the game he was. He was phenomenal. And Priest Holmes was too. Priest Holmes, we, we would go on our walkthrough on Saturday um, and he would take, you know, I, I would always have like the top 25. It wasn't necessarily a script of plays, but there were going to be 25 calls that I would probably make during that game at some point that had a high priority in down and distance situations and things like that. He would take that list from me on, on Saturday after our walkthrough when everybody went in and he would, he would line up in the formation. He would walk through every play, walk through every play. I mean, he, he was unbelievable, just an unbelievable student of the game. And, and Marshall was that way too. Marshall was sharp boy. He, he understood defense. He understood offense. Those are two special players. We're speaking with Al Saunders, offensive guru, wine connoisseur, and man that turns ordinary guys into receivers. Al, we like to get our guests out of here with a little triple play rapid fire. I know I gave you a little bit of a preview on the phone call. Ten this or that questions. You game for it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. You, the first you told me what it was going to be like. <laughs> I can't I can't give everything away, but the first hey, one whoop. 432. What route do you run? I'm running a four. <laughs> you you're my guy. Okay, so you can yeah. have <laughs> all right. Here we go. The best jersey between these three: the Chargers powder blue, the Raiders silver and black, or the Washington football team burgundy and gold. You know, I was a ball boy for Al Davis when he was a head football coach. Uh, of the Oakland Raiders. I was raised in Oakland. Uh, I got to say, there, there's none, nothing better than the silver and black. Oh, Everybody fucking up to Johnny it's, up it's, there. It's one every time. It's one powder, every time. The powder, blue, the, the powder blue, you know, has it going. Um, but let me tell you something. Silver and black, this guy right here would tell you. Can you see Al there? Yeah, yeah, we see him. Yeah, and there's there there's the what do you call that? The did did you watch the documentary ESPN just did where they turned they made him computer generated with who Al? Yeah, no, I didn't. That's okay. trippy. It's somebody who knew and watched it and what they they thought, but no. All right, well, I'd, I'd go with I'd go with the black of the Oakland Raiders, and it's hard to pa pass over those powder blues, but. Silver, the silver and black. Come on, that's special. That's what everybody says, so I, I can get on board with that. So speaking of football, would you n rather not be able to watch football for a season or not exercise for a year? Oh, my God. I, 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 I run and swim every day. I, I couldn't do that. I could not not do that. I, I, I know. 
I'd have to say, you put it on a DVD and I'll catch it next year. All right. Oh, that's a good <laughs> All equal. right. The, the man's always got to get his exercise in. Who wins in an arm wrestling match? You or Bob Wiley? <laughs> Does he get to stretch? <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't believe in it. If, if I can stretch, I'll kick his ass. If, if, <laughs> All right. if, I, if I can't stretch, I have no chance. All right. Well, I, I'm oh, making great. this happen. You versus Bob Wiley arm wrestling. That'd be great. Transitioning to a non-football one. What is your favorite cereal? My favorite cereal is uh, Uncle Sam's. Uncle Sam's? What? What's I Uncle Sam's? It. Yeah, it's, it's a digestive deal, you know. I mean, <laughs> it's one. Of, I'm 74 years I, old. I thought you were a Captain Crunch guy. That's what I was. Well, thinking. No, no, I, I'm not a sugar guy. I, 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 I was expecting like Raisin Bran or something. That would have been that would have been in there, but uh, I, I eat Uncle Sam's. It's pretty good stuff. It's got a little flaxseed in there, you know. It's like wheat. It's it's pretty good. It's healthy stuff. All right, all right. Would you rather wear an eye patch or a cape for a month? Ah! <laughs> uh, uh, in public? Yeah, yeah you you gotta, <laughs> wherever you go. So you're yeah. swimming, you know, you're doing, you're exercising, you're riding the bike, a cape or an eye patch? I, I, I think I'd have to go with the eye patch. I, I think the cape, uh, it'd be a little bit too presumptuous, you know? I, yeah, I, it could get in the, it could get in the way of swimming. Yeah. Would you rather never get a paper cut again or never get anything stuck in your teeth again? Oh my God, I would rather never get anything stuck in my teeth. Nothing more gross than having a piece of spinach stuck in the middle of your teeth, you know, and then smiling and nobody tells you that it's there. Yeah, but those paper cuts are brutal. I can deal with paper cuts. Okay. That's All pain. Right. Pain, pain, pain is, you know, that, you know, it's like sleep. It's overrated. You know, you can... Okay, I like it. I like it. Pain is we temporary. Got... Embarrassment of spinach in your teeth is forever. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Here's the other thing, Johnny. People would get an enjoyment out of seeing somebody with spinach in their teeth, you know, but paper cut, you can always, nobody, paper cuts are, you know, they're not. They're not <laughs> All, right. All right. That's fair. I like that answer. Would you rather constantly be tired no matter how much you sleep or constantly hungry no matter how much you eat? I'd rather be hungry than tired. That's what I said. It's a terrible feeling being tired. Yeah, I'm not going for that tired stuff. No, hungry, I, I could deal with hunger. Okay. Can so, I ask this next one? Because this one, oh, and this one was the one I, I wrote. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I, I want to ask specifically, I, I did some research on San Jose State University fraternities. Great yeah. life. Oh, and God. I noticed that Theta Chi is actually one of the lower rated ones. So your yeah. alma mater is, is just getting... <laughs> pooped on right now so oh, so i i gotta ask you if you had to cherry pick between one of the best ones that are there right now would it be delta sigma delta sigma phi delta sigma phi phi <laughs> you don't you, you can't count to nine and you don't know your greek alphabet what the heck is going on david or uh, it's delta <laughs> epsilon right do you oh man i'm hesitant I, now hey Theta Chi, and, and I, I didn't, I never wanted to be a fraternity guy. I, I wasn't a fraternity guy. But our freshman football coach at San Jose State was the advisor to this fraternity. And at that time, it only had six members. The, the house was going under. It was going bankrupt. So he decided, wouldn't it be a good idea 
to have all the freshman football players live together in this house. So, oh my God. So after our, our freshman year, after the fall, the fall semester, we were on semesters. So we go into the spring semester and he, <laughs> John Webb's his name. God, I did the eulogy at his, his funeral. Just a terrific, just unbelievable guy. And he was a young guy. He was probably in his late twenties at the time, you know, it was his first job. And so, but he, he was the freshman coach. A guy by the name of Lanny Julius was the, uh, was the, uh, was the other coach. There was two of them. And they decided that this would be great because Alabama had just, just opened Bryant Hall. It was one of the first schools in the country that had an athletic dorm. Okay. So coach Webb thought this was a heck of an idea. So once again, make a long story short, we had 30, 30, now 30, what they call pledges. Okay. Or there were 30 freshman football players that lived in the Theta Chi house, but we had to join the fraternity to live there. Right. So here was the deal. Those six members, we said, Hey, listen, all this Hazen stuff, uh, no chance, pal, you know, we're going to join this fraternity. We're going to live here. We're going to eat here. We're going to sleep here and we're going to run this campus. <laughs> yeah. It was it to this day. It was the, probably the most enjoyable period of time in my life. My closest friends are still uh, guys that I play football with at San Jose and we're in our fraternity. Um, it, it remained one of the very few fraternities and during the, during the late sixties and early seventies, the Vietnam war, um, a, lot, a lot of stuff was going on, you know, in our country. Um, and uh, we, we were so privileged to have, Guys like like Tommy Smith and John Carlos were San Jose State track guys in 1968 Olympics. You remember, John uh, and Tommy are, are, are good friends. Tommy's a real close friend, and it was just a special time and a special place, you know. And we had a bunch of guys that lived together, um, and it wasn't as fraternity as much as it was a group of guys that lived together that really enjoyed each other and, and really had some common interests and. Um, I lived in that house for three years and, and I'm still active in the, the alumni part of it. Um, they, of course, they're always asking for money, you know, which, which, which all those places do. But, but that's okay, you know, and, and my closest friends were, were Theta Chi's and I would, I don't care what they say about that place. They probably have six members again. They're down to six now, you know. <laughs> but I will say this, Brent Brennan, who's the head football coach at San Jose State, his father and I played together at San Jose, and he was also a Theta Chi. His dad was a Theta Chi. So, so David, he ain't answering your question. He said, I'm sticking with Theta Chi. He, he's there all the way. He's there all the way. He did a great <laughs> job this year. How about that team? San yeah. Jose, you know, they, gosh, they were like 10 and 2 or something like that. They played the bowl yeah. game. And you guys would accept me in your fraternity? Yeah. Oh, hey, you, you're in. You, you David, you're, <laughs> he, you're, you're, you're good. He can't count and he can't say the Greek alphabet, but he's in. I love it. Well, we got he'd, he'd learn at some point. He was just like everybody else. We couldn't count. <laughs> we couldn't read another. I bet right in. There we go. He, he doesn't drink wine, though. But uh, we, I, didn't, I, I didn't then either, you know. Now, now I do. Me and Al are like the same guy. We just don't even know it. You just you, you change a little bit when you grow up. You know? All right, Al. We got two left. When you get older. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> would, would you rather forget your favorite books so you can reread them again for the first time? Or forget your favorite movie so you can rewatch them for the first time. Uh, I'm a, I'm a book guy. Um, you know, I, I I really enjoy reading. I read a lot. 
uh, and I, I would just as soon forget my first book, so I'd have to read it again. Okay. All right. And the last one, would you always hit a red light or would you rather always hit a red light for the rest of your life or always get slow internet after the sun goes down? Oh, red lights drive me crazy, but, but the internet and the whole technology life drives me even more crazy. So <laughs> I'd have to go, I'd probably end up, oh God. It's a tough one. Yeah, that's why I saved it for a while. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to stop my life and stop at red lights all the time. So I have to slow internet. That goes for your phone as well, by the way. Yeah, that's okay. All right, <laughs> all right. The man has places to go and can't be held up by red lights. Well, Al, it was a pleasure interviewing you. I don't believe you're on any social media, right? No, I I don't mess with that stuff. I, 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 I I never read the papers when I was a coach, and I, I didn't listen to talk radio. You know that that was a safety guard. So <laughs> I'm not on I'm not on social media. Well, if you want to look look at more of Al, make sure you read some articles on him. I was I was watching YouTube, YouTube videos of him before just to be able to feel like he was coaching me up. Yeah, watch up. watch watch some videos of him chasing Browns receivers or giving motivational speeches. Al, we thank you so much for coming on. You know, I really had a lot of fun. This, this was uh, this was really enjoyable for me, and meeting you guys was was really great. And I I appreciate you you listening to some stories. I got a lot of stories about football, and if we ever want to talk again, you got my yes. phone number. Feel free to call, and uh, I'd love to talk with you guys again. Or if you ever we'll get Bob, we'll get Bob to you and Alexander Dolly. Yeah, Baltimore. Yeah. yeah. Hey, well, well, when this COVID is over. You can come. You come down and take one hour. When I when I worked with uh, John Harbaugh, I used to drive from home. I, we, we